0: I'm so excited today to have Liv Lou on the Arthritis Life Podcast. Welcome. Woo. Thank you so much for having me. <laughs> yeah, this is so exciting because I feel like I, I said earlier, I feel like I know you already. And even though we've oh. only interacted on social media asynchronously. <laughs> so now we're synchronous. So woohoo. Yeah, could you just give a quick intro to start off? You know, where do you live and what is your relationship to arthritis?
1: Yes. So I live in San Francisco, California. So I've been here for about 14 years. And my relationship to rheumatoid arthritis is I've had RA since I was four years old and uveitis since I was eight. So I've been, uh, yeah, a SUNY my whole life.
0: Wow. Yeah. Um. I would love to hear like how, when you, when you were four, what was the process like to get diagnosed? Like um what were some of your first symptoms and do you remember anything from that or is it what your parents telling you
1: yeah surprisingly I do the one
0: uh, and surprisingly I don't um I'll,
1: the biggest thing I remember is actually having tummy aches in the morning um, especially before like going to kindergarten uh I love kindergarten still do um <laughs> Kindergarten would, for life. <laughs> yeah. So I'd have massive stomach aches and I'd go on my mom's floor and I would just like peel over in the fetal position and be like, Mommy, like my stomach hurts so bad. And I don't remember my joints hurting, but I just remember being like, Something is terribly wrong. And my mother, being the amazing advocate she was, um, did everything in her power to talk to doctors, not take no for an answer go to specialist after specialist until somebody listened and took the time to do more tests and talk about more information. And she also read a number of it in, uh, medical encyclopedias. So she, my her best friend, uh, my auntie was like, your mom could have been a doctor just because she read so much and was so educated and cared so much
0: so wow now yeah. you don't have to say your exact age but what is if you want to share like your age range or like what time period was this yeah no I'm 32 now okay okay, okay. yeah I, I have no problem sharing my age either I just I, yeah, I mean either <laughs> okay because well I think what's the reason I asked that is that um I think it's really hard for people who are younger to understand what it was like before the internet was so accessible and ubiquitous and you literally had to like go to the library like check out books about stuff you couldn't just (laughs) search on the i mean i don't know because you're about 10 years younger than me so maybe it was by then it had, it, there was this kind of interesting period where it all changed. But yeah, that's, you know, tummy aches are one of the most common like manifestations of in children of all sorts of conditions, right? So it mm-hmm. could be anxiety, could be <laughs> cancer, could be, you know, juvenile arthritis. So it's amazing that she, you know, kept on searching. Do you have any family history by any chance? I'm just curious if that like anyone yeah. else. Uh,
1: so my mom uh, in particular had fibromyalgia. She definitely had some, uh, I'm unsure if it was rheumatoid or osteoarthritis, and she also had a lot of mental health uh, conditions going on for her mm-hmm. from, like, a lot of, like, childhood trauma and such, oh, and a lot of my aunts on my maternal side, they also had um, a lot of mental health conditions. Um, I'm unsure about my my paternal family, like, okay if they ever had any auto, autoimmune conditions, but right now my, in later adulthood, my brother has found out that they have gout. They like gout oh. comes up for them a few times, but they, nobody's had it like me or my mom. Like nobody's mm-hmm. shown up in the ways that uh, my mom and I had.
0: Okay. Well, that's just, yeah. yeah, that's, that's really a testament to her, you know, that she, that she listened to you and, and advocated for you. And um, I know the, the focus of this episode is going to be a couple other things, but I'm always curious to hear some of the highlights and lowlights of having juvenile, you know, it was probably called juvenile rheumatoid arthritis at the time mm-hmm. or now called juvenile idiopathic arthritis. Like, yeah, you know, were you ever isolated from peers or do you ever have any teachers or people who didn't understand or on the converse, any positives, you know, you want to share yeah. highlights and lowlights? <laughs>
1: <laughs> totally. I find, especially after like being an advocate for people and hearing their experiences, I find myself so lucky so fortunate and also this is how it ought to be for everybody so because it started when I was so young I started kindergarten having a diagnosis and my and I didn't go to preschool so um my mom immediately let the office know let the teachers know she was such a great advocate um and she was pushy too (laughs) um I oftentimes was, was late to school and the office I would walk in and the office would recognize me and give me a late slip without question so I didn't have to sit there. I didn't have to explain myself. Um, I was just immediately excused, which, on the on the contrary, like it was a little bit weird walking in late and having all the kids look at me and being like, "Why is it okay that she's late all the time?" And so there was a little bit of issue there, but overall, I don't remember it bothering me too much. Um, and then fast forward to high school, I actually um, I went into I went on methotrexate in high school. And it actually was a godsend. I went into remission for a year. But then when I came out of that remission and I re- like all the symptoms came back, um, had a lot of friends. I was friends with everyone. Like I was one of those people who kind of hopped around. I was like, hi, hi, hi. And uh, I had a, a lot of friends on like the football and basketball team. And my friend Jason, and I will always, I even reached out to him like a year or two ago. And I was like, hey, I'm, I was talking about having Ari in high school, and I'll never forget that you did this for me, but he would give me piggyback rides to class so that I made the bell. And he wouldn't even ask wow. too. And it was one of those things where you never want to ask for help and you don't want to say yes to help. And I didn't have to do either. He was like, hey, where's your class? Cool, hop on. And Because at the time That's I was on so one good. crutch because my yeah. leg was so inflamed and so I'll never, for- I get chills right now, because I'll never forget that, <laughs> like, the That's kindness amazing. and understanding, so, yeah, my, uh, like, as far as, like, school went, such a great experience, I'm um, really positive, um, I even actually got put in uh, homeschool for a while, which I know has, this, like, serious stigma, <laughs> but it was about, it was from, fifth and sixth grade, so I ended up being really shy going into seventh grade, which is kind of like, ugh. but it enabled me to really take my time, and it kind of taught me to, like, taper my energy uh, throughout my day, which is, which is a really cool experience, um, and none of my friends, like, childhood friends growing up, they didn't ask questions. They were just very accepting and just kind of went with the flow, so...
0: No, that's amazing. And I, I literally have had the same thing before about like, well, in my twenties, I was diagnosed at 20, but you know, people mm-hmm. are like, oh, were you like, you know, peer pressure to like drink when you're on methotrexate or do you all, you know, your, your friends like really, you know, not understanding about it. And I was like, the only thing I ever felt peer pressure to do is just stay up late or like sacrifice sleep. And I think mm-hmm. that that was harder for them to understand like that. I really like sleep is a medical need, you know, for me. Yeah. Um, but Um, But yeah, I always feel like, you know, except for some of the treatment by some of the the medical professionals, I feel like for my family and friends, I just got like, so lucky that like, you know, everyone was so understanding. So it's great to hear someone else had the experience because sometimes I'm like, am I the only one? But yeah. And I think that, um, that that piggyback ride is such a great example of like, inclusion, like true inclusion. Right. Yeah. Right. And it's like mm-hmm. done in a way that makes you feel like it's is fun. And like, everyone wants a piggyback ride. Right. Yeah.
1: <laughs> so like, like, why did she get it?
0: <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. I know. And I think I, i volunteered at the um, arthritis foundation, our local catfish camp for kids and families fail. I always say this wrong catfish family camp for kids with juvenile idiopathic arthritis. So the whole families can come And it's so anyway, that so great that the siblings are there and they get to kind of meet other people and realize that their sibling is not the only one. But also um, I was talking to one of the families about that whole idea of, you know, people quote unquote, using their disability as an excuse or like asking for special treatment. And I had this long conversation with two of the parents about that with their high schooler. And, and we just kind of talked about like, what do you really have to lose from believing the child, right? If your 13 year old is saying that they are really, really tired in the morning. Cause I mean, if those listening, if you're don't know too much about, um, inflammatory or autoimmune arthritis, morning stiffness and difficulty getting started with your energy in the morning is like a hallmark, you know, That's symptom. So and so I'm like, <laughs> I think most people, I, this is just, maybe I'm, I'm, maybe I'm like a Pollyanna, but like, I think most people over time, like yeah, they might experiment a little bit with like, Ooh, what can I get away with? Cause that's part of being a teenager. But like at the end of the day, like they're going to, I hope I would imagine I'd rather err on the side of believing that they're going to self-monitor and be like, okay, like it's boring after a while to get away with like going in late to school mm-hmm. every single day, maybe. And so I was like, why not just err on the side of believing the child? Like, yeah. I, I mean, but I don't know. I mean, again, I think I struggle like am I just being naive but um I'm like so like no, do true know. because what do you think like,
1: yeah. yeah it's absolutely true because even if it's not say like arthritis or some like physical condition it could be like they're having like a mental trip like why do kids try to get away with stuff to begin with it's likely because they need something or you know it's yep. all, all of it is some form of communication so like leaning into that is I agree with you it can never be a bad thing at the I, end of the day you're going to learn something
0: exactly yeah and I think that's yes, yeah. you totally hit some synapse fired when you said that because I used to work with um you know children with developmental differences and neurodiversity and you know that was a great book I read by um Ross Green called um No Bad Kids and it's mm-hmm. like all about how like all behavior is communication you know and so that it's a communication saying that I'm lonely I is it that, that I'm that. you <laughs> know and it's it's a form of yeah they're all a form of communication so I just think, you know, like at the end of the day, I, I don't want my, my own child to ever think that I've questioned their self-assessment of their pain because no one can know someone else's pain. Right. As exactly. But yeah, um, yeah. <laughs> uh, but on a totally different, on a little different note, but one of the things that I first noticed when, I guess, I don't even remember the first time I saw one of your videos, but, you know, we've all, we've met just like (laughs) Allie, you know, another day with RA, just met over social media and Mm -hmm. you're known for, you know, being such a great um, role model for, you know, flare friendly fitness. Oh, I just made that alliteration. Or <laughs> you probably already said it. Hey! Right. Yeah, like flare friendly fitness. You're a friendly flare. Yeah, um, you're my friend who does flare friendly fitness. Fabulously, oh my God. fabulously. Um, and then, and I also think that you you have seem to really embody like a self acceptance vibe. And like, mm. I think that that's. I, I'm just curious how. I have like 19 questions but how did you get it how what is your fitness quote unquote journey how did how has that changed over time yeah Uh, well first of all thank you for reflecting
1: that back to me I think when we're doing our thing it's always like lovely to hear somebody's perspective so I really really appreciate you you saying that Um, and that's what I what I do try to embody is like the self-acceptance and and such so um, uh, my fitness journey um obviously growing up with r as you know like you're constantly navigating you're constantly troubleshooting and learning how even if you're not conscious of it you're learning how moving your body makes you feel um going outside to play as a kid um not going outside to play like that sucks <laughs> that's never fun um and uh throughout like my uh late teens, early twenties, a lot of people and I didn't know anybody except for one family member who actually isn't blood related. Um he he has RA and so he was a bit of a role model, but nobody my age and that I could truly like see eye to eye on um had RA and people would be like, how do you move so much? Like I don't understand. Like how are you so active? I'm like, I don't know. I've been that just keep moving as a kid. And little did I know that would be my mantra so and then late 20s um you know as your body starts to change as your hormones start to reset again like I was working a full-time job where and I was a I was a manager at a small business and I was a it was such a big caretaking role and it was a non-stop role and being a manager sounds great because you get paid a lot, but you're also like the messenger and the middleman for a lot of things and you take on a lot of people's energy. And I just started being run into the ground. And I was like, wow, I actually can't move like I used to anymore. Like this is insane. And uh, but I was still like backpacking, rock climbing. I would go to the gym, I'd, you know, try to go for a run here and there. That didn't pan out until now in my 30s. Um So I noticed like a a big decline. I was also doing aerial fitness, which like, um, for anyone who is unfamiliar with like aerial silks, it's, you know, you basically like learn how to fly up on this apparatus and it, it really forces you to connect to your body. So while my energy was decreasing, I was connecting more with my body. And I was like, Whoa, this is insane. Like one day my boss walks in, he's, I love him. He's still family. Like i see them all the time. Um, he comes in, he's like, Liz, how are you doing? I'm busy at the front desk. And I'm like, I'm not fucking okay. Like I yell, I'm like, I'm not fucking okay. And he was like, cool, we'll set up a meeting. Great, just keep doing your thing. And I was very grateful for his reaction or, or lack thereof. So we have this meeting and I'm like in tears and I'm like, I can't do this anymore. And they're like, why don't you take like a sabbatical? Why don't you take some time off, go on disability? And I was like, no because that's not gonna help, that's, gonna, that's a band-aid. So I realized, am I'm, I'm crying, I'm eating pancakes, we, we're out for breakfast, I'm like eating pancakes, crying, and I'm like, I just wanna help people like me. Like, I just want to help them get out of this place right here. I've always had people ask me, how do I keep moving? How do I do this? And at this job, I don't have time to move on my own. And that's the problem. And so I basically stepped down from manager, uh, you know, demoted myself, which was great. Uh, demotions are a good thing, people. Um, <laughs> yeah,
0: you're like, as manager, I am taking the yeah. action of demoting myself from manager. <laughs> yeah, I bye, love bye. It. No, that's so important. Yeah, you're listening to your
1: body. And it was probably the first time I had ever advocated for my body. In wow. my whole life, right? I was like, wow, I think I'm growing up finally. So, and then from there, I, I actually reached out to my aerial fitness instructor and I was like, hey, I just want to let you know that these classes really helped me connect to my body. And I'm so passionate about helping people do the same. And I just want to let you know that you inspired me. And she emails back and says, actually, I'm really happy you said this. I've been looking for a trainer to come in and take over some of my classes. How would you like to come on board? So every, like, very serendipitous very like wow okay thanks universe so cute um that happened and then i realized like i don't want to work for anybody but myself <laughs> thank yeah. you that was a beautiful stepping stone it was fabulous taught me so much of what to do and what not to do and then i founded move to live in in 2018 and that's it's that you know <laughs> uh,
0: Yes. Yeah, so so move to live is your business where you do personal training, right? Or is it It personal fitness? Yeah. And, um, and did you start with in everything in person or is I did. Yeah. Of course it's 2018. Yeah. Yeah, 2018. It was such a different time. (laughs) It was a different time. Yeah. Sorry. I'm like, duh.
1: But I mean, a lot of people were doing virtual. I even had people reach out, um, and ask me if I was like Lori Gray. She was like, Hey, do you do virtual? And I was like, you know I really thrive on the interpersonal connection I thrive being in person yada yada that whole obviously changed and the truth of the matter was I was afraid to go online I didn't know how to connect with people online yet and that also changed and like what a beautiful shift COVID brought you know looking at the positive the silver linings of COVID yeah so yeah it went completely online not completely online I mean, temporarily, yes, but
0: that's when I started doing the flare friendlies
1: six days a week and I just jumped in.
0: Oh my gosh. So yeah, yeah. can you tell, cause some people might not have, um, you know, ever been to a fitness class or work with a personal trainer. Can you explain a little bit more like, what is it like? And, uh, what are the different things that you offer? Just like as an example for people to understand, cause it's so, great to learn fitness from somebody who really gets it right somebody who actually lives it
1: for sure so I'll start off by telling you why I even wanted to to become a trainer is because I've I've gone to classes I've gone to like boot camp style I've done boxing climbing and, and in all of those I felt like I lacked this connection to the class because There wasn't much space created for modifications, but not just modifications, but actually forming, like encouraging the people to form this workout to meet their bodies. It was like, here it is, you do your best to make it here, versus here you are, do your best to make the movements cater to you yeah and that's what I do I like and working with a personal trainer is all about yes accountability that's probably the first thing people think of like oh man I need a trainer I need accountability and the reason they don't is because oh I already pay for a membership <laughs> but it's also for someone to guide you and actually tell you why you're doing certain movements and how this benefits your body it's a learning experience um it's a place to take knowledge and walk away and to be able to apply it to the rest of your life. So my thing is I'm like, if you're not learning from your trainer, perhaps start asking questions or find a trainer that you truly feel connected with and where you can learn because we don't wanna be reliant on the trainer and you don't want a trainer that wants you reliant on them. Um, It's all about the takeaway.
0: Yeah. I, I love that. And so have you always done like one-on-one plus groups or is it all groups or how does that work? Uh, So I started with just one-on-one okay. right now. Most of my clients are just private one-on-one, which is
1: great. And we get to oh, take awesome. so much time and explore their bodies and movement. And I also do semi-privates, which are super fun because they're still really intimate. It's three or like it's between two and three people and no more than three. Cause that's becomes a group class at that point.
0: Right, it's really right, hard right, to pinpoint right,
1: right. each individual's needs, and they're full hour sessions, so I can actually, you know, um, address people individually, even though they are in a group. But it's super fun because everyone gets each other pumped up. They root each other on. Mm-hmm. They get inspired. One person pushes. I encourage people to take it at their own speed. However, their friend encourages them to push maybe a little bit harder out of their comfort zone,
0: which is also necessary. Yeah. So, oh, totally, I do, oh yeah. sorry. Yeah, keep going. Go, oh, keep so- going.
1: Yeah. oh, I was just going to say, I do actually one group class a week uh, oh, okay. besides my flow friendlies. Yeah. And that's a flexibility class.
0: Oh, that's, yeah. Oh, my gosh. Flexibility is like the un, flexibility and sleep are like the unsung heroes, I think, of self management. Yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah. It's like on the first, like, I feel like this is just my little soapbox. I feel like everyone wants to, their first mm-hmm. two questions for lifestyle for rheumatoid arthritis are, Nutrition and exercise, which is the both important, obviously really important. And but when they think exercise, they usually think cardio or strengthening and kind of forget mm-hmm. about flexible. And I know you just posted something about flexibility, but yeah, yeah. like it's really like you know, the researchers is, is pretty strong for you have to really combine cardio and strengthening and flexibility for Mm -hmm. to support the joints. So anyway, not to be boring, but I just was like 100 percent (laughs) Yeah. And oh yeah,
1: I'm I'm up on that box with you. I'm like, yeah. yeah.
0: Yes. (laughs) When I think one one of the things I like that you do is you make movement fun, you know, because I think a lot of people again it it can be it could be so deeply people have such a deeply emotional relationship to their bodies and to sports, (laughs) quote unquote, and exercise and like some like you know from your childhood it sounds like you always like loved moving and loved being active. I was that way too. I know other people, it can be hard if you grew up you didn't really like movement. Maybe you felt ostracized in gym class mm-hmm. or something or, you know, and then you get this diagnosis and you hear from your doctors and your medical team that you're supposed to exercise, but then you're just already mm-hmm. starting from this kind of like um blah place about it like oh it's like one more thing I have to do. So yep. you know that the, um, like making it fun by, I guess I'm so social that for me, just inherently like a semi-private or a group is like, or a one-on-one, they're all social, right? <laughs> they're all a chance to kind of hang out with other people and not feel like you're just on your own. Um, totally. yeah, but sorry, that was a little side note, but I was going to say, all good, all good. <laughs> yeah, one of the biggest questions people ask me, and I'm honestly 19 years into my diagnosis, I'm still figuring this out for myself because, mm-hmm. The conditions are changing and your body changes, but when to push and when to rest— isn't that like the ten thousand dollar question? Like, yes, it is. Like, <laughs> do you have any tips for disentangling that, or just empathy for people who struggle with understanding when to push your body and when to rest? Thoughts
1: just went through my brain at one time. It was like, Ooh. I know.
0: <laughs> we could do a whole episode just on that. To be honest, yeah.
1: Good. We're doing it so okay. The thing is, the reason why it's $10 million question or $10 million question and why it's so difficult is because it's so different for every single person. You know, is it your, like, it depends on what joints are most sensitive for you. It depends on how consistent you're being. Um, the more consistent you are, the more of opportunity you have to push. But my quote, my mantra is, and it, And I'll tell you what, (laughs) is um, movement is like salt. You can always add more, but you can never take away. Once it's too salted, it's done. So it's really important that it's kind of like um, when you eat, you go 80% full because everything expands. So I love that. Like keeping that intensity level at a very manageable place and always remembering to like leave on a really positive note with yourself because at the later on you can always add more the next day just because you're not sore the next day or you know you didn't push your you didn't go 10 out of 10 in that workout does not mean you didn't benefit from that workout and I think that's like the ableism that we we put on ourselves is like no I should be able to do this I should be able to lift heavier and you know what you don't shit on your own couch don't shit on your carpet (laughs)
0: Um, yes, you
1: can go harder. Just perhaps today is a place to honor exactly where you're at. So, um, and what something they actually teach us in like NASM curriculum is like a a four to six week progression. So if you're being consistent, after about even like honestly like three weeks, like after a few weeks, you can start increasing weight. But even just the fact that NASM is teaching us that the progressions happen over such an extended period of time, it's not a week, it's not even two weeks, it's about three to four. And if you're going really heavy, maybe four to six, and we have joint problems and chronic pain and, and all this stuff coming up for us with so many more variables, take your time. It is so much sweeter when you take your time. and you're gonna feel it you are gonna feel that moment where oh my god I think I wanna I think I wanna like push just just a tiny bit harder today um that's also like trusting our gut is like I think when people are like well should I should I push harder like when you ask that question if you have to ask the the answer is usually like "Mm, this is a really good spot let's stop here
0: well, and I think what becomes first of all, I, I agree with what you're saying. I love the analogy of like 80% full, like stopping before you're completely exhausted. Because for me, something that happens if for cardio in particular is I'll get those endorphins going and it will interfere with my ability to accurately assess whether I've pushed too far. So I've learned that because when I get that, those endorphins, I'm like, I'm feeling good. But then (laughs) later I'll be like, nope, pushed too far, you know? So learning when, but there's other times when it's like, okay, I can push it a little further with like strengthening. So yeah, it's really, Like you said, knowing your body is like half the battle and you get, and and it takes time. It's like a relationship, you know? Yeah.
1: And, And that's why it's so important to connect so deeply with your body, understand. And the biggest part of knowing when to progress too is, is, um, how do I say it? Knowing how to translate your pain, pain is your body's language. It's not, it's not just a warning signal. It is a language. So if you're like, well, I'm I'm running, I'm, you know, maybe on the treadmill or outside or biking, you're doing some cardio, you're like, well, I feel like I can keep pushing, but your knees are kind of starting to go off. Maybe it doesn't mean you have to stop, but maybe your muscles are getting so tight that they're pulling at your joint and you need to stretch. So do some troubleshooting. Understanding that the knee pain isn't necessarily, oh, you're getting a flare up. It's, oh my God, my muscles are sore. <laughs> yeah. So getting off stretching and then getting back on that bike, grow that treadmill. And then if it still hurts, then that's when you stop. Yeah. You know, like be a student of your experience. I actually just um, I recorded something for uh, Smart Shirt Spin where I'm like, be a student of your own experience constantly learn like ask yourself out loud why is my knee hurting what did I just do I was doing lunges oh well my quads are really working hard my quads are pretty tight my tendons are probably like firing right now let me stretch it out and see if my knees actually feel better because I think oftentimes what happens is we freak out when that pain those pain receptors go off it's really easy to freak out and be like oh my god I have to stop where really it's it's important to start asking questions and getting to know your body on a biological level and mm-hmm. on an energetic level.
0: I I love that. I yeah, one of my I, I can be very um self-critical at times or be like, mm-hmm. why did you like push it too far? Or one of the things I've noticed, um, and I don't I don't I have tried to research how common this is with rheumatoid. I know it's very common with lupus, but I am extremely heat and light sensitive and so my capacity to do any sort of exertion is so far down when it's mm-hmm. when it's hot and or sunny so i'll do things like okay i'm exert like just the other day you make choices right i went to the pool with my son And I was like, I know I'm probably going to pay for this a little bit later, but I'm going to, I'm, I'm having fun. And I want, you know, and then later on, I'm like, why did I do that? You know, and (laughs) so one of my mantras in those moments is like, I am a work in progress. I'm a work Mm -hmm. in progress, you know, and that just goes along with what you're saying about curiosity. And, you know, this is, if you, the, one of the kind of recurring themes, recurring things of this podcast, I didn't really plan in the beginning, but is that, you know, it is, as many times as people can say it you don't really get it till you've experienced it but th- having a chronic condition like rheumatoid arthritis it's not something that has like a beginning point and an end point right it's not like mm-hmm. just you get diagnosed and then you just do this you know 6 month plan and then you'll have it all figured out and then the rest of your life it's figured out you know yeah <laughs> that's what i think i that's what i was hoping in the beginning you know yeah, wouldn't figure. that be nice <laughs> yeah yeah and some people do i mean like if your medication puts you in a long term remission like the first six years for me it kind of was like that to be honest actually because i was just my medicine worked and i was in remission and i was like cool <laughs> this is great yeah. but um most people who aren't in that position of you know remission mm-hmm. are it's up and down and you know what sometimes it can drive you baddie that like what worked yesterday doesn't always work today but just having that mindset that this is I, I'm not trying to achieve a fixed end point where I've 100% figured my body out you know mm-hmm. it's not it's more like a, an evolution like it's like a clay that you're molding but that mm-hmm. that for me sorry not tying into mental health as someone with anxiety something that my therapist pointed out to me is that like. Anxiety makes you want to always have like black or whites, like have the Mm. answer. And so having to learn to cope with those gray areas um, has been really, I mean, I feel like it's so, it was so hard to get to this point, but I am doing a lot better at it. So (laughs) yay me.
1: Absolutely. I mean, that, that just made me not to like go on a tangent, too much of a tangent, but that Uh, just uh, like triggered my thought about like how I got a happiness coach. Um, a good friend of mine is a Reiki master and a happiness coach. And it is, it kind of, people are like happiness coach and it, she taught me intrinsic happiness and what happens a lot with depression, anxiety, or even like dealing with chronic pain in general, maybe you don't identify with mental health conditions, but it's hard. And when you are, um, in a lot of pain, you don't want to be present in this moment. You start to time travel. You'd go back to yesterday or, or the before and you're like, oh, I used to be able to move like this and you get depressed or, you know, or anxiety of like, oh my God, I have so much coming up. And like, you're looking towards the future. And like, part of like my happiness coaching, it taught me like the practice of present moment awareness and being able to come here. And some of my hardest times, like I, it's really hard. It's not easy. Nobody's saying this is easy, but uh, and and my my partner Carrie, he made a good point because I said I'm so sorry. Lately, I've just been really off. I'm having a hard time being present, but I'm working really hard on it because I always check in with him and tell him where I'm at. And he's like, well, "Why would you want to be present? The present is really painful." I was like, "I love you, first of all. <laughs> oh, like, thank you for understanding." a hundred percent yeah, yeah. And so we try to get on this like hedonic treadmill of, like hedonic happiness which if for anyone unfamiliar is like kind of like oh um our comfort eating like getting what we love you know those those favorite things or um you know spending money or like going on a trip or like this, this which is all great it's all great like no shade at all but um it's also it's so important to come back to ourselves first and it can just be really hard
0: Oh my gosh, a hundred, a hundred percent. If that was mm-hmm. the biggest stumbling block or the biggest challenge for me with therapy was, I kept being like, it almost feels at first like abusive. I, I never, I, I'm not saying that my therapists were ever ever abusive, but it can feel almost abusive for someone to be like, if you're in pain, it's like they're asking you to feel more pain. At first, I was like. Why, why are you asking me to connect to my pain that feels like you're trying to hurt me, you know? And then, but what I realized is that they, their philosophy, you know, is that the suffering comes from part of suffering comes from not being able to connect to the present and be able to Mm -hmm. fully open yourself to the present moment and give, and it's kind of, they said it really well. And one of the books I read, of course, I can't remember the wording now, but it was something like, you can't actually give, you know, you can't give support to yourself or compassion to yourself if you haven't first acknowledged what it is that yourself is experiencing. Mm-hmm. You know, you can't actually say, I am in pain. Yeah. And then I'm going to actually feel this pain and give myself some self-compassion in this moment. I might also then mm. in the future, I'm not giving up on any sort of um, resolution to this pain or relief. But yeah, I realized my entire life had been led, focused solely on the future. And and if all that ends up doing is, um, is basically you're never actually, you know, here, you're mm-hmm. you're always yeah. trying to optimize for a future that, when it comes, you're not actually in that moment. You're in the future of that future. Yep. You know, yep. it's very meta. <laughs> so yeah, I didn't just it really yeah, is. <laughs> I empathize though with how hard that that can be um, to be present. That was also just just if for anyone who is experiencing, maybe they're experiencing not like a physical pain necessarily, but you know, I also struggle with panic attacks um, in claustrophobic situations or technically mm. claustrophobia, which is like fear of being trapped. So, mm. um, that was the same thing I had to go through with that. And I was like, again, why are you having me connect to my anxiety? Like you want me to feel mm. like go into a small space and literally connect to what I'm feeling rather than running it away. But it's like, the more you run away from your feelings, the stronger that they get in a weird way. So when I finally yeah. allowed myself to feel the anxiety, it, it made me learn my brain like connected like in this weird like classical conditioning way that like yeah. I survived you know like yeah the thing that I'm most afraid mm-hmm. of is losing control of my mind and and feeling this intense anxiety but when I allowed myself to feel it I was like okay I nothing happened you know what I mean yeah absolutely so anyway yeah
1: it's great and it and it connects back to the previous question of like when do we know when to progress well don't look to the future. Look at right now.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Look at Right
1: now. If you're trying to lift heavy in the future and that's all you're focused on, then you won't lift what's appropriate
0: for the present moment. It, oh, everything yes. comes full circle It all. Yeah. Happen. It's all, <laughs> I know it's like, I have such a hard time thinking of like titles for these episodes. Cause it's like, they're all about everything. I like that movie, everything, everywhere, all at once. Did you see that movie? I haven't yet. <gasps> I know I need to, everyone's like, I can't believe you have not like, I. It's break. an experience. It's not, uh, it, yeah, It. it is, it is. A- if you have ever felt completely lost or utterly alone while trying to navigate real life with rheumatic disease, listen up. I am here for you. I created an educational program to help you go from overwhelmed to confident, supported and connected in a matter of weeks. And it's called Room to Thrive. After earning a master's in occupational therapy and completing hundreds of hours of additional training, I created a step-by-step guide to help you truly thrive with rheumatic disease. This is the only program I know of that's designed to improve quality of life for people living with inflammatory, autoimmune forms of arthritis, like rheumatoid arthritis, psoriatic arthritis, ankylosing spondylitis, non-radiographic axial spondyloarthritis, Sjogren's disease, and more. During the self-paced lessons, you'll learn how to manage pain and fatigue, cope with stress, navigate relationships, and continue doing the things that matter to you and bring you joy. The goal is really to help you improve your quality of life and learn how to thrive with your rheumatic disease right now, rather than waiting for a distant day when it might be cured or healed. I really created the down-to-earth, practical, heartfelt resource I wish I had had when I was first diagnosed at age 20. If you want even more in-depth support, you can join the 12-week Room to Thrive virtual support group, where you'll be surrounded by people who actually get what you're going through, people who will provide the encouragement, validation, and support that you deserve. Each group is expertly moderated, so you don't have to worry about the kind of misinformation that spreads like wildfire in the free-for-all social media groups. If you're on the fence, don't just take my word for it. Here's what Katie had to say in March, 2023. I was lost and overwhelmed with my RA diagnosis. It felt overwhelming to know what to read, what to do, how to spend my energy trying to research on the internet. Room to Thrive did that for me. It's been like getting a crash course in my diagnosis along with a community who gets it. To see all the details, including the dates for the next support groups, go to the link in the show notes or bit.ly slash thriveroom with a capital T in capital R. You can also just email me anytime at info at myarthritislife.net. And don't delay if you're interested because each group is capped at 16 people or less in order to make a small, intimate group atmosphere. Thanks so much for your time. And I can't wait to get started with the next groups. And I can't wait for those of you who are interested in the self-paced option to go ahead and join that at any time. Bye-bye for now. Once one of a kind, maybe I, I really enjoyed it. Um, but okay. Good. I also wanted to ask you one of these, um, again, getting back to kind of the, the common questions people have, what mm-hmm. are some of the biggest like myths people have about arthritis friendly or flare friendly workouts? Oh, Ooh. I'm going to mute myself. So the cat, cause the cat's making more noise. Yeah. <laughs> cool. Um, well,
1: I mean, so I I've had a lot of people reach out and this is why, like, I i brought it up as like a, a topic is, I've had people reach out um, in regards to like my YouTube channel and my Flare Families that I've posted, and they're like, Thank you so much. Because every time I go to look up for an arthritis friendly workout, I get senior workouts. And senior workouts, first of all, let me make it clear, you guys, senior workouts are badass. They are badass. <laughs> and um, you also need to be taking, like, when you look at a video or a class it is really important that you are represented in that movement. Um, And the biggest myth, I think, with like arthritis-friendly workouts is that they're really easy and they're not, they're only for people with like injury or pain. And really what they, like at least my flare-friendly workouts, they are to connect deeply to the body, whether you have chronic pain or you're on an active rest day and you have no chronic conditions at all. I've always I've always said that in my videos. I'm like, this is perfect for anyone going through a flare-up, dealing with chronic pain, wanting to connect to their body, or you have, you're doing an active rest day and you just want some movement. It is truly for everybody. body. And um, it's also, I've found a lot of uh, arthritis workouts that are only in a chair. And like, to be real, we're sitting a lot already. Chair workouts are amazing and there has to be some variety where it's laying down only. I've done um, doing like flat on your back. Um, I've done um, standing only. Standing only is actually really important. I got actually the most requests for standing only Um, because I think people really just need to come out of the, the, the fetal position or the sitting position, or, you know, a lot of times we're on zoom and and stuff like that. So, um, yeah, I think the biggest myth is that it's, it's easy and it's not going to get you any, it's not going to make you, sorry, it's not going to progress you. And actually, um, the flare friendly workouts are amazing for progressing. And that's the whole point is to progress you out of a flare-up and not just that but to progress you out of the mental state and the anxiety and the stress of a flare-up so it's full body mind and soul
0: well as you're talking made me think about how often our body becomes like the enemy when we're having a Mm flare-up and I think that you know movement exercise whatever you want to call it you know for me a lot of it's been dancing or just you know um you know I've yeah, I've done lots of different kinds of movement over the years, but it's, it's a way to say like, this is, this is not out like this flare up is not something necessarily that I'm fighting from the outside. in like, it's part of me and it can Mm -hmm. feel very empowering to be like, reconnect to your body and be like, look what my body can do today. Like maybe I can't, you know, I was just thinking, I, anyway, I had a car accident in 2016 that resulted in like a concussion and whiplash injury to my neck. And it was frustrating because I really wanted to get back into running. Um, But for the longest time, every time I would try to jog just a tiny bit, um, my, that it would, that up and down would destable, Mm -hmm. make my neck um, pain worse again. But, you know, I was like, you know what? I used to love stair workouts. Like went on, on in track and field when we would do stair days, where we would go, you know, up and down the stadium yeah. stairs. And um, and so I was like, uh, the way the story should ideally end would be like, and then I realized I should do stair workouts, and I started doing them more often. I didn't do them very often, but I was like, you know, we can get so locked in, you know, locked in. I I used to just love like the simplicity of running. Like you just put your shorts on, put your shoes on just run you don't have to think about you know oh where are the stairs you know or um getting your swimsuit on to go to the pool workout or whatever but anyway point point being is like we can be so tied to what we used to be able to do that we forget what we can do you know um Mm. like I can you know it's like you can't run walk you know (laughs) you can't I can't necessarily go on like a long extended jog but I can like go up and down the stairs and that gives like the most satisfying like muscle burn on the quads, Mm -hmm. and I know stairs can be hard for some people with knee pain but for Mm -hmm. my my knees are not usually an issue so um anyway side note but we were talking about you know yeah just it makes me feel proud of my body instead of being like oh this is like a bro I'm broken you know what I mean yeah I mean exactly yeah (laughs) a hundred percent no I and it's
1: that, like, when you say, like, I can do it and you can't, and a lot of people ha- I'd say, hey, join my Flare Friendly. I know that you're in a lot of pain and, like, you're going to get through it. Jump in my Flare Friendly. they're like, I can't do a workout. And that's the whole point of Flare Friendly is, is that this is an opportunity to focus on what you can do. Yeah. And the other thing about um, sort of modified workouts is, like, there's a lot of assuming. Like, um, even I've, like, I, I do Peloton workouts, like, when I don't want to think about my own workout, I turn on my Peloton app and I just go and they will modify moves that I'm like, oh my gosh, if I was modify and no shade on Peloton, I love them, but it's just a different world. And they go to modify and they go on their knees. And I'm like, you can't modify on your knees, you guys. Like it hurts <laughs> so bad. Yeah, I'm like a lot of people can't go on their knees or, you know, can't even bend their bend their joints in that direction. So like um Flair Friendlies are an opportunity. And like I was explaining before, what I didn't find in those group classes that I attended, it was like, your body needs to match what the curriculum is, but no, the flare friendly provide so many modifications and so much deep connection to the body that you're going to start to modify the movements to meet your body. And that is the, that is the golden ticket. And I want yes. people to really Take these flood friendlies and start feeling inspired to modify whatever workouts they go and do. If you go to a class, if you go to Orange Theory, Peloton, Berries, whatever you do, or you do home workouts, I want you to learn how to take movements and get creative and adapt them to meet your body's needs. And that's what flood friendlies are all about.
0: I love that. Yeah. Adaptation is such a huge, huge theme for, for me too. And like, I mean, it, um, in occupational therapy, like we have all these like official words for different kinds of like adaptations. And, you know, it's really all about just saying, okay, can I take this activity that I want to do? Can I either change what we call it? So we have like this literal, like crazy dictionary of, I don't want to say crazy, but this, um, <laughs> intensely detailed dictionary of like, not, or this, framework for like breaking down all these activities of daily living, like and doing an activity analysis on them. Mm-hmm. And really, I think people who live with pain and chronic um, illness become their own de facto experts on this because you experience experientially learn how hard certain things are and you modify them. But um, point being, yeah, it can be harder for the untrained eye to understand like a truly, a truly customized adaptation for somebody with mm-hmm they might think, oh yeah, you just, okay. If your elbows or if your wrists hurt for um, downward dog, then you just quote unquote, do this one modification when there's actually like 19 different (laughs) modifications, you know? So anyway, um, so no, I love it. And you know what I was trying to, I was thinking about a way to tie in the topic of like, fitness to the topic of like intimacy because that's the other thing we're going to talk about today mm-hmm. I realized oh the the thread is like knowing your body and then connecting to your body and loving your body right is part of it yeah mm-hmm. but yeah I wanted to definitely give a chance um to talk to you a little bit about like how you know if intimacy what what intimacy has, I, what does intimacy mean to you? That sounds yeah, you know, and like true. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I know we've had an episode on, um, just previously had an episode with, on a little, a little panel discussion with, um, like Allie, actually, I wish you were there now that I think about it, but I don't think I knew you back then, but, um, and a few others talking about, you know, relationships and sex and intimacy mm-hmm. with with chronic pain, with, with rheumatoid arthritis. So yeah, feel free. This is your time to oh, share yay. your journeys. Yeah. Woo-hoo. So all
1: the, I think it, what you asked, like, what does intimacy mean to you is such an important question because you can't assume that it's the same for everyone. But I think the over the umbrella feeling is like trust. And even when it's intimacy with yourself, it's like, I trust that this is what I want. I trust that this is feels good. I trust that I feel safe, I feel good. I feel like this is what I need right now. And this is what I want. And um, intimacy with a partner is so important. And I hear so often that like people's partners and it breaks my heart. And I wanna like jump in and be like, and talk to the partner and be like, hey, look. i <laughs> totally.
0: I'm a fixer,
1: I'm a total totally. Aries fixer. And, yeah. but uh, it's so important. You have that intimacy with our partners because like having that interpersonal connection is so deeply connected with pain management and even as simple as like I'm having a shit day I'm in so much pain and they go and make the day fun and they're like let's go okay this is my own life let's go to Costco like <laughs> like let's I love go it. on a beach walk like let's you know because you don't always have to do everything alone and i think that intimacy also allows us to start being able to ask for help being able to communicate being able to be intimate with somebody communicate your needs understand and learn what you, oh kitty cat understand and learn what you want in that moment allows you to take that into the world and say, like, maybe you're in the workplace and be like, actually, this is uncomfortable for me. Do you mind if we change and shift? And like, that's where like the kink and like BDSM and like stuff like that. And like exploring together is so beneficial. And I think that sex, intimacy, especially when you start to play with like, um, you know, um, kink and stuff like that, it's so, intertwined
0: is that my word yes I think
1: with with pain management
0: yeah no this is this is really really fascinating to me um and so just I'm gonna have a little you know content warning on this just for people who might be listening you know with people younger kids or whatnot that this is going to be like an adult conversation and (laughs) I mean it's I never thought to connect like this self-advocacy when you explain to your partner, like what you want or what feels good. I never actually thought about connecting that before you said it to like mm-hmm. advocacy or, you know, communication about your wants and needs in other contexts, but it makes so much sense, you know, and I think you have to believe that you deserve pleasure and you deserve. And that's something that I struggle with at times being like, um, I don't know I don't I can't put my finger on it but just being like you know I deserve like I mean just a really like Frank example would be like when I was younger you know in my sex life, it'd be like, okay, uh, no, sometimes I'd be like, oh, you finish. Like, I don't need to have an orgasm, you know, it's okay. Like no big deal. Like I'm like, oh, you know, and then I'm like, no, I deserve to have one too. You know? Hell yeah. (laughs) Yeah. It's so interesting. But it wasn't like I had poor self-esteem. It's hard to, it's hard to explain a little bit, but, um, but yeah, I would love to hear more from your journey. Um, I don't personally like know too much about kink and BDSM. So how, can you explain a little bit, like what, that is, and how it's helped you in your, in your relationship, in your life. I'm so excited for this, and
1: honestly, like, this is the first time I've actually talked very openly, like, on this platform about, I've talked about it with friends, like, intimate spaces, but um, never, on, on here. So I'm very excited for the opportunity, yeah. I think it's so important, um, it has a lot to do with being, again, a student of your experience, Experience. And I am, I'll tell you, I am very new to King. I'm very new to the world. I'm not like some veteran who's been doing this for years. Um, and that's why I feel so passionately about sharing it, is because I've had RA since I was four. And I'm 32 now. And this is the first time I'm experiencing like this, this sense of like, like release almost. And so, let me say, I honestly, like, I'm trying to figure out where to start. So in my life, pink is different for everybody, but in my, in my world, like, um, Carrie and I play with, um, you know, like, uh, shabari, which is like rope tying. Um, we like, we play with like collars and restraints and, um, like we do a lot of thinking, like I am a total, like I'm especially because I'm a business owner. I'm a go-getter. I'm outgoing. I'm extroverted in my entire life. I love being submissive in the bedroom. It takes, I don't have to make decisions. I don't have to like, I get to sit back and we also get to explore this experience. And um, Carrie loves being um, um dominant so we we are very compatible and that's the other thing like you really have to be compatible with your partner and like explore that and if if you're not compatible like that's totally fine um and uh so he has been the first partner I've actually really explored kink with and um I realized that going into it I would use a language like no I like this hurts like I can't even at like general penetration, like, because you know, you get sensitive and people with chronic pain um, on a science, like a biological level, level, because we have chronic pain, our pain receptors go off like that. They fire immediately. Our nervous system is at like, is very much higher than like the normal person um, or the everyday person. So, um, and he actually asked me, he was like, Hey, like when you say no, or like, and that's the end. Um, I have a hard time understanding like where to go next. And so if we could maybe work on saying, hey, this is uncomfortable, can we do this instead? Like we literally played with even language, learning how to talk to one another in the bedroom. Like that, you know, so um, where am I going with this? This is where my brain fog is falling in because this <laughs> no, is so, it's
0: such what? a broad topic. No, but I think there's a huge difference when you between saying, "Oh, I don't like this," to this. I this doesn't feel good, but I think this would feel better. Like then you you do become. I mean, even if you're like a used to being the leader or used to being the dominant person in all of your other areas of your life, and maybe you want to be a little bit more submissive, but um, in the bedroom, but it can still be very empowering because to say that and to, and cause it, it's predicated on, you knowing your body and, and, uh, prioritizing your own pleasure. You know, and I think, again, that's, that's what taken me. And I think some of that for me was the sex ed that I got, um, in high school, which was very much like boys want sex. It's up for girls have to like run away from them because it's like Pepe Le Pew. It was essentially yeah. what like <laughs> sex is for boys. That feels good for them. We, we have the power to give it to them if if we want to, mm-hmm. though it's scary because you might get pregnant and get STD. Like nothing yep. at all was about pleasure or about, You know, it was like, it feels good to men. Fear, fear, fear. Yeah. It was just so fear-based. I was so scared of sex. Like It took me so long. And I had mm-hmm. the most amazing patient like partners in the past, like nothing bad to say about any of them that you know, everyone has helped, you know, over the years, me understand that this is not just, I mean, obviously not just about, you know, like. Pepe Le Pew thing but about like oh I get to have fun like I literally didn't even know that it felt good for Mm -hmm. like the longest time like not after I started having sex but like after just the sex education was so not Mm -hmm. pleasure-based it was so scary and fear-based anyway sorry that's my story but yeah no 100% this is for me too like and even like Mm -hmm. the I remember the first time a partner said to me like um they're like well i you know when I did that whole thing of like that I don't know what my complex is I'm like okay you can fit like I think for a yeah. while before I really realized how to achieve like, quote unquote achieve or get an orgasm for me it felt like too much work <laughs> I was a little bit like it's fine yeah. like, we don't have to have me orgasm every time like, I'm, <laughs> good first time <laughs> my partner said like but I I want to be able to I want to you to do it too. like I don't I don't feel yeah. like it wasn't like about pleasing them but it was almost like oh this person prioritizes my pleasure and that felt more intimate to me too instead of again pleasure is something that I have the power through my vagina to give to a man yes. <laughs> like I'm the pleasure giver they're the receiver period done mm-hmm. you know so um sorry so that's I don't yeah. really I, I can't really don't that necessarily directly to like kink or anything <laughs> but it's about the communication part and the intimacies
1: no it's very yeah. true and it is it- yeah it's like allowing yourself to receive like that, that's like the starting part of it like it's the learning how to receive and like he loves understanding and learning about my body and i've never really had a lot of partners that like wanted to learn so much and actually be like take the time like it's always so quick like sex is always so quick it's like you get it in you come you're done go, like take a nap like
0: <laughs> And, yes. and
1: for, for us, it's very, and and they say like sex is, is adult playtime. So get into your playfulness. And so yeah, it's all about receiving. And then that communicating of like, this is what I want. This is what I need. And it totally translates to when I'm having a bad flare day where I'm like, hey, like this is how I'm feeling. I just want to let you know in case like you feel my energy being a little bit different. And this is actually what you could do for me today. If you have energy, I would love it if we could like make a meal together or like if you could do dinner tonight. Um, it really does come full circle, um, pun intended. <laughs> and the I get other it. <laughs> part, yeah, the other part of pink is also knowing how to relate your pain to something else. So when I, what was it? I was recently triggered into like a safety mode where I don't know what happened, but I was like, babe, I'm, I'm, I feel myself really turned off. My libido is low. I'm reacting to things. I'm uncomfortable. I feel myself protecting myself and um, I realized I was like I think I actually need like a sexy time session with you so I can get a little bit of release not just intimacy but like I need to relearn that I'm safe and so we had like a shibari mm-hmm. session it was like we took our time it was cute like listen to music like all this stuff and like it really truly helped me and it's because like when mm-hmm. like being tied up for example let's just focus on that like being tied up and and restrained like there is a bit of discomfort that that you start with you're like oh god my shoulder is like one way or like da, 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 this is really tight and then you start to kind of like breathe and relax into it and uh carrie really helps me like breathe like i'll say oh my god this is this is uncomfortable and he said he was he actually said because my hands were like back here and he's like do you mind if we wait like just a moment and just see if you can sink into it and like Breathe because we've been here before, and you specifically asked, like you asked for the session, so we can lean into feeling safe. Do you Mm want to give it a minute? I can also untie you. And I said, no, you're right. I I'm gonna give it a minute. Thank you because I was I felt that come up of like I don't want to be here. I I feel unsafe. I need to feel like safer. And actually, after one minute, I felt fine. Everything was actually okay. And he knows me well enough to ask those questions at this point. And so, um, when you go into like, like, once you start to sink in, you start to go into like this subspace where like you're really relaxed. It's kind of like, um, I don't know the word but it's very just like calming it's it's you're submissive and you're submitting not just to the person but you're submitting to the experience and for me it's like submitting to everything that I fucking carry all day every day and like I'm also with somebody that I deeply love and trust and that's all I know is that I'm submitting I'm releasing I'm surrendering and I'm with somebody that I trust. And yeah. all of a sudden I'm like floating. And um, uh, if you ever studied, like I uh, listened to Rachel Zofner, and she's um a pain management, she's a doctor, she works in pain management, but she just explains to us how, and is where I learned it from, um, how our pain receptors go off of like three different categories, the biopsychosocial. Yeah. And so, like it, and she explains like why women give birth and it's so extremely painful, but they'll do it again. It's almost like they they forgot how much pain it, it actually was, but it's because the result made you so happy that those pain receptors aren't are no longer telling you this is something, it's not like burning yourself where it's like, ow, don't do that again actually like a really happy thing and so um, that's why being social is so important it can actually decrease our pain receptor activity is being with friends and so when you're with a loved one and you're intimate and you feel safe all that pain the tightness of the rope all of that is actually becomes pleasure and I, I build like through that you build a new relationship with pain and that has been so enlightening for me it has been such a powerful release of pain both emotional mental and physical So yeah <laughs> I
0: lo- no that's I've heard that before about the intertwining of pain and pleasure it's it's so fascinating um for me personally I'm like my mind is being blown because like being tied up is literally like you know fear of being trapped you know but Uh like you said it's in a safe environment where you know the person will untie you so i know it's different but i'm like that i I wrote down the word or typed it as you were talking surrender because that Mm -hmm. was something that my therapist and i did work on with my claustrophobia it's like being like this is the moment like this is the moment i'm in can i surrender a bit to it. And it's so not my default state. Like I'm definitely fight, you know, I'm a fighter. I feel like I'm like fight or flight. I want to get out. You know, I'm get out, get out. I guess that's that's flight. Sorry. I'm a flighter. I'm a flighter, not a fighter. No. (laughs) I'm like get out, get out, get out, get out. Or I want to fight the feeling. I want to make the feeling go away. So Mm -hmm. um but yeah I can I can just imagine how if you're able to intertwine pain and pleasure it after, after thinking that pain is something you need to run away from for so long to be able to say, this is different. This is a different experience. It's not necessarily, mm-hmm. um, something I need to fight against or run away from that. It's, it can be actually mm-hmm. part of my pleasure. That's totally, mm-hmm. it's a paradigm shift as they say. <laughs> it is. And i cried a lot in those situations and it wasn't like oh my
1: god I'm crying because I don't want to be here I'm crying because I'm like I feel so safe Wow. I feel it's like this intrinsic feeling of like I live a life of chronic pain I live a life where sometimes I feel trapped in my own body and now I'm like using my body to like release all of that and I love my body so much and there's just like this Really deep thing that happens. Sometimes it's just point fun. Sometimes it's not. Yeah, all that. yeah, yeah, yeah. Other yeah, yeah. times I'm like, holy shit! Like I lay there afterwards, and and there, there, in like BDSM, there is like, you know, the the dominant person. Like when that person is in that submissive state, that subspace, you have to nurture them afterwards. So like he'll untie me, and I'll be laying there, and I will sometimes like cry and release, and he'll just nurture me make sure I'm okay. Like rub my muscles and mm, mm-hmm. check in and see how I'm feeling. And yeah, so all, everything I described, it increases our intimacy everywhere, at, like in our entire life. So wow. it, it's really, really cool. And uh, I think that more people are more kinky than they even realize. It's just, <laughs> it can be really scary to explore yeah. it first off. And you also need to have a partner that's willing or if you're or if you're at an open relationship or poly or anything like that you can like go to a party and 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 a lot of these parties aren't necessarily for just like oh my god like fuck but it's like it's a learning experience it's it's playful it's welcoming it's nurturing and stuff like that so
0: no hmm. thank you thank you so much for sharing it's definitely something that you know i don't have a lot of experience with but that i and I'm always basically like you talked about earlier about having a curious mindset, you know, being curious about your body, curious about your pain. And I'm always, cu- I'm very, very curious how different people like fa- achieve a good life with pain, you know, a good life mm-hmm. with rheumatoid arthritis. And so this is obviously you know, something that helps you a lot. And I know there'll be people listening who are like, oh, I've always wanted to look into that, but I'm a little scared about it or whatnot. Mm-hmm. And now hopefully it'll, you're, you're helping it become more normalized. So thank yeah.
1: You. <laughs> and sex is necessary. Sex is healing. Like it is our natural like urge. And, and it's like a lot, I've had a lot of people would just be like, oh, well, like we just don't have sex. They're like, I'm, I'm just not that kind of person's like, honey, yes, you are yes you
0: are I mean I think there are some people who are more asexual but you know and that's okay too to know that but it can be from a place of knowing yourself and truly feeling that versus feeling afraid of sex and being like I'm asexual because I'm actually afraid I'm not real I'm afraid to engage in it I think you know that's something I can kind of identify with at times I've been like oh you know it's it's not, it, I don't know how to put my finger on it, but I think it's, I got so ingrained. I'm such a goody two shoes. It was like, sex is bad. It's what bad girls do. If you do have sex, you're going to get pregnant and get an STD. And like, it took me a long time to kind of unlearn that. So I was kind of like, not for me, like yeah. not going to worry about this for a long so time. Yeah. I mean,
1: society places so much um, stigma and pressure on women. And on top of that, that's why, like, I think sex is such an important subject for us to talk about openly. is because A lot of um, autoimmune and chronic conditions affect mainly women. So there is a connection there. And, um, it, it's really easy to feel unsafe. And I think that's really normal for all of us. And I want anybody listening to know that, like, if you felt unsafe, it's not you. It is like it's, your feelings are valid. It's a yeah. really tough thing to navigate, and it's really possible to navigate. Sounds yeah. like
0: you have such a great partner too that has, you know, just helped yeah. so much. <laughs> and that's so, so important. So I'm glad that you found that i'm very and I, lucky <laughs> uh, yes um unfortunately i have to start wrapping it up just time wise i know for both of us um but i always like to ask at the end like what are some of your words of wisdom or advice for the newly diagnosed people out there with rheumatoid arthritis or juvenile idiopathic
1: yeah newly diagnosed well like you know it's whether you're new or, or a veteran like always be a, a student of your experience and so start asking questions um find community find community that whether or not definitely find your chronic community and also like build your general community around people who are rooting you on lifting you up always cheering you on um and just know that your pain is not the end of the road It is a learning experience. It is a journey. And there are so many people who are ready to like be on that journey with you.
0: I love that. Yeah. I can't tell you how many times I see on social media, especially on Facebook groups, people who are like, I just got diagnosed. Like, is my life over? Or And I I want to validate, it can feel like your life is over. Your life, as you knew it, the things you might've expected or hoped for the future are probably going to have to change a bit. And Mm -hmm. that's just reality, but that does not mean it's over. It's, you know, different. So different doesn't mean over.
1: For sure. It's okay to mourn your past yeah, and also drive forward to the future. Quantum emotion.
0: Oh, whoa. We just went another layer. Whoa. I just broke the space time continuum. (laughs) Yay. I love it. And then is there anything else you wanted to say before we wrap up um, that we didn't get a chance to say yet? (laughs)
1: Oh my goodness, Um, not that I can think of, oh, but okay. I do welcome people to like, I'm an open book. So if anybody wants to ever reach out and chat about yes. the subjects we talked about today from like fitness to kink and intimacy and anything in between, I am always happy to be a part of your team. So oh, that's awesome.
0: <laughs> yes, and so you're on Instagram at move to live, like the word M-O-V-E-T-O and then L I V. Right. And you're also on Facebook at that. And then you have a YouTube channel. I do
1: have a
0: YouTube channel. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So I'll link to all of those, but thank you so, so much for your time. I know, like you said, you hadn't talked about some of these topics earlier. So Mm -hmm. I appreciate you being, you know, um, you know, open to talking about it here, because again, I think it's really, this podcast is really just about sharing people's true, you know, authentic life stories and what, what is helpful for them. So, um, so I appreciate you. I'm so glad we finally got to talk. Yeah,
1: well, I appreciate you providing this space. I I truly, truly appreciate you providing the space and the platform and like spending this time with me. Like, yeah. You are amazing.
0: You're amazing. And I was just thinking, you know, I did my um grad school in the Bay area. And I've been wanting to go back and visit sometime. So I'll definitely not come on you know, over. Yeah. <laughs> come on over. So I'm just inviting myself. Just uh, I hope so. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, Our door is always open. <laughs> oh, thank you so much. All right. We'll wrap up for now. Talk to you later. All right. Thank Thanks. you. Bye. <laughs> thank you so much for listening to another episode of the arthritis life podcast. Just shoot me an email at info at myarthritislife.net. I can't wait to hear from you.